Hello and welcome to episode 50 of Booze, Booms and Busts, the podcast where we discuss market events while at the same time quaffing a couple of beers. My name is Boaz Shoshan and I'm joined today as ever by Sam Volkering, who is just back from paternity leave. Sam, how are you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm back and I'm, I'm, I'm going okay. I, um, I'm not, not too tired. Uh, I am back now with a, a family of four where once it was a family of three. Um, so a lot changed, changed in the last four weeks now. Uh, it was since, since the little nugget was born, um, but all is going good. So this is the, these are the first really strong beers I've had in, 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 a, in four weeks. <laughs> oh, so this should be a very interesting re-debut of yeah. Booze, Booms and Boss. By the 45th yeah. minute, things should get uh, lively. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as they should be. I mean, this is season two now we're into. Yeah. It's nice to have taken a little break. We were wanting to get the 50th episode at the end of season one, but as things turned out, we didn't quite make it. But we're very, very happy to be back. We've now got a thousand Twitter followers, which is very good indeed. Boom! And, uh, yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be getting straight onto the beers today. Um, it is a crazy time for markets, and uh, you know we've all manner of stories we could discuss. First off, uh, I'll start off with uh, just the beer I'm drinking now, which is. From uh, well, I'm yeah, I'm currently in Cheddar, uh, the small town of Cheddar in Somerset. It's a beautiful little town. I do recommend a visit if you're ever ever nearby. And uh, yeah, I'm currently drinking Hookie Gold, which is a pale gold and zesty beer, not made in uh, in Somerset. This is from the Cotswold Hills, uh, but Hookie Gold, four point one percent. It is tastes very crisp indeed, so it is perfect for the absolutely scorching weather Steamy, we've got now. Steamy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. I don't know. Uh, yeah, how's it looking with you, Sam? Because over here, it is. Um, it feels like I. Uh, yeah. Well, there was the line. It. Um, it was so warm outside today. I thought I'd been deported. <laughs> That's brilliant. I quite like that. It's. Um, I mean, I'm. To, to be fair, it is. It is hot. Any anything over twenty five, I classify as. as considerably hot uh it's pretty much that up here i think it's closer to 30 than it is to 25 um but uh this is this isn't certainly anywhere near what i would call my upper threshold of uh of uncomfortability with heat having spent the better part of 30 years in 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 unbearable heat in summers uh back home in australia all right. Yeah, I, I, it is, actually, uh, I, I weirdly recall one time just as a, as a something that popped into my head. It was so hot in, in Melbourne one day. It was over 40 degrees. I'd come home from work. I might have mentioned this on a podcast previously. It was so hot that I'd, uh, I was on a tram, an old tram that was like a 1950s tram that still operated, was operating at the time in Melbourne's tram network. So it had no air conditioning. The, the windows were like uh, timber pull down ones and it was so hot outside that the air it was literally like a hairdryer blowing in your face i was coming home from work i had my suit on by the time i got off the tram uh my wife who was my girlfriend at the time uh she she looked at me and i had sweated all through my actual suit um nice. and decided that to just literally buy a bottle of water on my walk from the tram stop to home and i just poured it over myself very nice That's very nice <laughs> fond memories eh sam <laughs> So this this is great. I quite I quite enjoy this this kind of tepid, tepid lukewarm heat. What are you drinking today? So uh, so interestingly, I had a I I put an order in on Monday uh, from Beer Fifty Two for my next batch of uh, 
of craft beers from around the world and and, and they're predominantly the UK. Uh, but thanks to Pingdemic, uh, they didn't arrive. Uh, so I'm oh, hoping they'll get here in time for the next week's podcast, which they should. Um, but I did nip down to uh, my local wine merchant who also has some craft beers and managed to grab a couple that I hadn't had before, although be it, they are names that uh, may be familiar to some people. Uh, the first, which I've got is uh, Duvel, uh, which is a Belgian oh, yes. maker. Quite a, quite a well-known, quite a, quite a popular Belgian uh, beer. However, this is one I have not had before. This is the Duvel Triple Hop Citra, um, which is a 9.5% devilish citra ipa so i've uh, i've not had this before i've had some of their other beers um but this is apparently it is brewed with a third expressive hop variety the citra from the yakima valley in the u.s deeply aromatic and bitter with citrus notes so uh it got uh, the the bloke at the wine merchants gave it rave reviews um and so far he's right it's a very very good beer Oh, very good, very good. I think we, yeah, we've got two beers that are uh, are fitting. You know, they are uh, suitable for the restart of the Triple B podcast. In terms of topics to discuss, well, uh, I mean, a lot's changed since episode forty-nine. That's for sure. And uh, I mean, where should we begin? I mean, at the time of this recording, this is Friday afternoon. Uh, Thorchain, a, a DeFi protocol, is currently in the process of getting wrecked. This is not for uh, not for the first time either. I mean, this is getting wrecked in quick succession. I understand, uh, and this is happening pretty much live as we're recording this. Uh, any any comment on that, Sam? Yeah, I, mean, I literally just in the minutes before uh, we started this, I, I jumped onto Twitter, crypto Twitter, and uh, yeah, Thorchain was getting decimated uh, because of apparently uh, some sort of uh, issue with the code that the, the 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 network the blockchain whatever it is has been built around uh some some errors which were not picked up by a code audit um this comes in uh, to it was hacked i believe earlier today or last night as well with eight million dollars worth of value pulled from it uh you know the circulating market cap value of its tokens is about a billion dollars uh and uh, it's you know down something like 25 percent overnight uh when most of the market is actually reasonably healthy uh i don't know what to say i mean these this is this is a reminder that a lot of these networks pretty much outside of bitcoin and i'd probably arguably say ethereum now are um are still, you know, crazy experimental. Actually, there's probably a couple more I'd, I'd throw in there, but nonetheless, there's only probably a, a, a half dozen or so that are very secure, um, that are very stable, and there's a lot of others that aren't. So, uh, and that's just mainly because we're talking about experimental, developmental networks. Um, you know, it's 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 risky. It's risky stuff, and there's going to be exploits, and there's going to be hacks for some of these things. Um, some of them are going to fail some of them are going to just sort of peter along some of them are going to some of them are going to just fade into the into the background and others may come out of nowhere that we haven't even seen yet um mm. that's what innovation and capital and and interest brings testing trialing uh risks good times bad times and everything else in between but um oh, some great theater in between yeah definitely too <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> 
do you do you think I'd be the first person to to uh, use the term Ragnarok to describe the Thor chain <laughs> destruction, or what, do you think someone else has beaten me there? You know, it's interesting because during um, the last few weeks of paternity leave, um, you know, so when you have a new child, you spend ungodly hours awake. Uh, you know, sometimes feeding said child or just awake. Um, and I decided that during that period to occupy some of those uh, later hours in the <laughs> evening and nighttime, I was going to watch all the Marvel movies from start no, to no. finish. Not, not in the order that they were released uh, to us, but in the order of which the Marvel Universe has them chronologically, which means, You're a starting, mate. means starting at Captain America and working my way all the way through to uh, Avengers Endgame. Uh, even actually, ha having said that, including WandaVision, uh, the uh, uh, Falcon and the uh, Winter Soldier, and then most recently Loki as well. Although I didn't watch those in, in order. I've, I've already sort of consumed those whilst watching this. Uh, but I, I, I did it. I, I finished it uh, this week with Endgame. And... Uh, I, I was thinking about what is my favorite one out of all of those 20 something Marvel movies in, in that chronological order. Uh, and it's Thor, Thor Ragnarok, man. That is, that is, I think that is the best Marvel movie they've done. Uh, bar none. I, oh, I, mate. <laughs> May the Lord have mercy on your soul. <laughs> I love that. Every I think, Marvel I movie. Every, it's just so watchable. <laughs> so easy to come back to and watch because it's funny there's there's a shitload going on uh massive man crush on chris hemsworth because like who doesn't and i love kate blanchett as um uh, heller i think she plays uh and and ragnarok it's just a wicked movie it's just fun from start to finish and uh so it's yeah interesting that thor chain was gonna get wrecked and now you mentioned ragnarok i was like you know what yeah yeah Go on. I'd love. I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking for the Thor Ragnarok memes to 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 hit online, but I haven't mm. seen them yet. You know, I, I funnily enough, I haven't actually seen Thor Ragnarok. Um, oh. I think. Yeah. No. No. I, I. I. It was on at a friend's house, and uh, it was so bad. We 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 watched it for about twenty minutes, and then we quit. No. Yeah, it was that bad. No, but I, I, because I, 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 when I was a kid, I was, I was really into the the mythology. So like Ragnarok in the myth is actually just where they all die. So like Odin dies, uh, they all fight, but they're destined to die. Odin dies, Thor dies, they all die. And uh, I think in the comics it's very similar as well. But the adaptation by Marvel is was was somewhat different in that. You yeah, know. I mean, because they couldn't kill off a, a money generating a character like Thor and Loki, right? So you know they killed. Well, did they not make him really fat at the end and like a complete you know useless mess? Yeah, they did in in the subsequent Avengers uh, Endgame movie. They made him um, or, or, like he got depressed and, and started drinking and gaming and just got crazy overweight. It's quite funny actually, but they do destroy not Asgard in uh, not giving away spoilers, but Asgard gets destroyed in Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> Right, right. Could they not have given him an honourable death rather than just you know this decline into uh, you know obesity and alcoholism? Could they well, they may just, they yeah. may kill him off in the next movie. There's there's another Thor movie coming out, I think next year, which is I think called Thor: Love and Thunder. They may kill him off because they I believe that they are uh, introducing the female Thor, uh, which I believe is going to be played by Natalie Portman. Uh, in the next movie so whether or not they continue on with her or, or whether or not they go back to him i'm not sure but um, oh, right, right. 
astonishing. I mean, and when I looking back on those movies as well, the amount of money generated by all those movies is absolutely bonkers. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Love and Thunder was one of that was a very popular um, was a very popular comic series. So I'm guessing it's an adaptation of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought. Yeah, I didn't read that one. I think like Iron Man three was Iron Man three was a was a adaptation. Yeah, Iron Man three was an adaptation of Iron Man Extremis, which was one of the one of the really good ones, and they completely butchered it. So all we're, we're, all of the Marvel ones that I all the Marvel movies, it's always them just butchering these incredibly good comic books that I read when I was a kid, and well, just then just feeling you wouldn't jaded. Have, you wouldn't have been happy with Age of Ultron then because they butchered Ultron. I mean, Ultron was such a such a sick character in the comics, and they just they really butchered that movie, I think. Mm. Well, I think, um, yeah, well, maybe... I, Same with it, X-Men and Apocalypse. Do you remember that X-Men movie where they had Apocalypse in it? And it was such... Yes, it was I remember such that. such a weak, such a weak character they'd built into the movie. When in the comics, I used to adore the X-Men uh, comics that had Apocalypse in them. Um, mm. And they just, they didn't do that. They didn't do that villain anywhere near the justice that it, they should have. That was yeah, uh, X Men Apocalypse. That was the third, wasn't it, of the um, yeah, of the so. James McAvoy X Men movies, and the first mm. two were pretty good as well. So yeah, it was a it was a bummer. I think uh, have I ever shared you with you my story as to why Marvel movies were a success? Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm not sure. Financial, fin- from financial perspective, because uh, Iron Man, the first, so the first Marvel movie was Iron Man, right? And that was re- released like effectively during the financial crisis, yeah. Uh, and uh, it made a boatload of money. Now, all the people who finance movies are just the same, having it are effectively are just investors. They just have a completely different uh, sector that they allocate to, and obviously, it's you know private, not public, etc. Yeah. And uh, my theory for why Marvel just kept all of the Marvel movies are very like so close to each other in some of the uh, in some of the you know the plot elements. Some of them are just cookie cutter mm. uh, attempts at all of these things, rather than being really innovative and doing something new. I, I think it just comes back to Iron Man was a success. Yeah. All the investors were just like, "Yo, just just give me another one of those." Uh, <laughs> and as a result, they just did this again, and again, even when the economy recovered. Uh, and this is why the the Marvel movies are the way that they are. It was just a result of this was released during the financial crisis. It did well despite it being financial crisis, and then they just kept doing going and going and going with it. Um, yeah, as I say, I'm I'm not I'm not hugely impressed. I've watched several of them, but uh, and some of the some of the like some of the stuff in them is very good. But uh, you can't beat a lot of the comics that they're trying to trying to take adaptations from. In oh, my no. in my the comics, view. Uh, the comics is something else that you you. I don't think you. It's much like um, movie adaptations of novels. I mean, comics really are a, you know, they're a, a, a illustrative form of of um, storytelling like anything else. And yeah, the movies never do the original uh, content justice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But sometimes I feel like the writing could be a lot better. But anyway, we are getting we are getting somewhat somewhat <laughs> off track, but. I'm glad we've got we've managed to get Thor Chain Ragnarok in here. Um, you know, Sam, when you're looking at obviously because we've been away for several weeks uh, and crypto has had like a pretty big crash, all things considered, during that period actually while we while we've been away. Um, like, would you like to share what your observations of that were? Everyone likes to you know point fingers and you know try to find causes. And I've you know looked at uh, you know most of what people have to say about it. 
But a lot of people think, um, you know, hashing power was a big part of it. So the Chinese kicking all these miners out, yeah, uh, was was part of the trigger. I don't actually buy that. I don't. I don't see how it really has that kind of effect, other than people are afraid, uh, and so maybe they would sell a bit. But like, I don't. I I feel it was more that just it ran out of momentum. A lot of the a lot of it was the Elon stuff, and the Elon stuff just ran out of steam. Yeah. Um. I mean, what's your take on it? Uh, yeah, I think so. When you look back at it, and and I think if you look at Bitcoin, it's kind of like um, the perfect representation of the wider market because most things still follow the moves in Bitcoin. Um, over the last two months, there's not really been any change. Like, literally, if I go back to what's the date today? Friday, today's Friday, the 23rd of July. If I go back to Friday, the 20, uh, sorry, Sunday, the 23rd of May. You'll find that Bitcoin was at $33,500 and now it's $32,500. So uh, I've, I used the term this week. I don't really like it, but I've seen it bandied about. It's just sort of a bit, bit of a crab market. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> at the moment. And if we actually even go back to January, I think we're at the exact same point as we were at the sort of mid-January. Um, so realistically, there was this sort of, there was this exuberant period over um, sort of April, I think it kind of peaked across the market and then it sort of wound off. And I think you're right. I think it's just, just heat, bit of heat coming out of the market. Just the, the narrative, you know, the, you find the mainstream media covers it kind of still, but not anywhere near with the aplomb that they did from the rise from like, four thousand odd dollars it was in like march 2020 yeah. to, to over 60 uh in april this year um you know that that captures the mainstream's attention and then they get bored of the story and it does drop off with that but now we've sort of found this sort of sideways market um which is great um you know that that, that kind of sideways movement where things just settle down people kind of fall away the rampant speculators you know the gym instructors and taxi drivers that are giving you crypto tips don't give them anymore um <laughs> you know that's that's good that's healthy it's the market's still finding its feet but with the stability around it sort of found that sort of 30 odd thousand mark with bitcoin and you know there are peaks and troughs and ups and downs and a lot of other the altcoins that you know are some way off now they're peaks but those i think cycle around again and you know what it's, it's not the we like these periods or, you know, you want them to come off of highs like that, but kind of still plays into the theory of, you know, when you look at the development in this space. And so um, we, you know, we may talk about it. We may talk about other things this today, but the stuff around lightning network and the developments going on that with something like strike, for instance, um, you know, the, the way that things are going, uh, this is a pretty, pretty nice little level. If this is going to be the springboard up from here, I, I don't really see, this, and I still think we're quite early in, in the piece, right? Because we still get we still get emails at work, and I still see it in the media that the old Ponzi argument. This is all it all looks like a Ponzi. Uh, it's still people are still saying that, and um, you know that's that's sufficient reason to 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 show that most that a lot of people still just don't really get what's happening here. Yeah, I think that yeah, there's definitely definitely plenty of that still. Though. Yeah, it is interesting to see just how the how the narrative has changed quite a lot. The thing for me, Sam, uh, there's one thing I can't really shake is the cyclicality element to it. So if we are, if we've had this, if everything goes in four year cycles, uh, which and which it has so far, you know, um, even when you look at you know the first couple of years of Bitcoin being around, didn't have a market. But if you go from there 
you know, go, go from 2009 you know, to 2013, where you had that great, great surge. And then from 2013, it had a, had a big drop off. And then you've got uh, four years later, we get 2017. And four years later now, here we are in 2021. There's something about that cyclicality, which I, um, you know, it's hard for me to sort of ignore that. And when I look at that, it's like we do have this enormous surge to 60K. And mm. now we see a really, really big pullback. Now, sure, in 2013, there was that, there was that, uh, there was that uh, pullback going on. And I do, I get the impression that we are in that 2013 period because the degree, the sheer degree of bearishness you get from people who've been in crypto for years, yeah, um, at, along with all the tradfi guys saying uh, Ponzi, Ponzi. <laughs> down to 10k or 5k or whatever like along with that just makes me think that like if if this is if this is the end it's like the most anticipated end <laughs> of a bitcoin bull market ever uh, and you know that that you know i wasn't even paying that much attention in 2013 i mean i was very very aware of bitcoin but i was not involved in the big hype cycle etc so you know take that with a grain of salt but just the sheer amount of bearishness i hear makes me makes me start to feel bullish again yeah, I can't. I can't quite shake that. Uh, when you're looking at, well, here we are. We've had this big. Uh, we've had this grand rally to 66k. Now we've had a really big drop off. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does make you wonder. Ooh, I, I, am I effectively in March 2018 right now? Is that is that where we are? And I have now have to wait another four years before mm-hmm. we get back to the good times. What do you make of that? It's a good. That's a good point. It's a good question. And it, I've, I've I've sort of run it through my mind as well as like. Was was that sixty four thousand? Was that our peak from this cycle? And yeah, I I keep I mean, coming. It's not back. bad, is it? Well, if I mean, if if to be fair, if thirty thousand Bitcoin is the is the floor until the next cycle, this continues. Happy days. Even still, right? That still plays into the lows in between cycles are still higher than the highs from the previous cycle, right? Yeah. Um, and I I tend to think it's not though, but. I mean, if it is, that's not a bad situation, really. Um, and then the, the development will continue uh, as, as, as we would expect. But I, I kind of tend to think that, that we are more, um, we're more kind of like, kind of more, more like 2017's mid, mid 2017, more than sort of mid 2018 or sort of early to mid 2018 with all of this. And it, it, I think there's a number of headwinds that, so the thing is, the difference here is that you get the media picking up on a lot of the negativity. So the number of articles and coverage that you see when the EU decides that they want to pull crypto providers into their FATF and the anti-money laundering and counterterrorism financing regulations that they've got for traditional financial providers you know, things like names and addresses and ID information and non-anonymous accounts and all that sort of stuff, which you can understand why they want to do that. And to be fair, a lot of crypto providers uh, already do that anyway. So it's not really a big deal, but that kind of negativity gets far more uh, coverage and awareness than something like Square, which is Jack Dorsey's payments company, um, launching a completely standalone business that is solely going to look at decentralized finance with Bitcoin. Like I heard nothing about that in the mainstream media, not one. I mean, you see a couple of reports, nothing covered anywhere else. Um, so you do tend to get the fear latched onto because that's 
that's what gets people clicking more yeah, than sense, the, the good development stuff. Um, and likewise, you know, I, I don't know if you tuned in and you heard the B word uh, conversation between Kathy Wood and Elon Musk and Jack Dorsey uh, the other day, but it was interesting. A lot of people are like, oh, you know, we don't need these billionaires to come in and tell us what to do with Bitcoin. They've only been around for a minute. It's like, yeah, yes, they, they're still learning. And, and you could hear even Kathy Wood was admitting that she's got a lot more to learn in this space. But you also can't deny the influence they have over TradFi, <laughs> as you like to put it, um, and, and those sorts of networks that, that exist, those legacy networks that exist and the people involved in them though you know the legacy system listens to people like kathy wood and elon musk and, and jack dorsey um because of what they've been able to achieve in those legacy systems with their corporations and with what they do so to have them on board is a really good thing and it was interesting you, you know the bitcoin price actually peaked right 15 minutes after they started their hour-long discussion and then started sort of head head a bit lower from there but you know these are the sorts of things that again I only, you know, you only, you only hear about it on crypto Twitter. You don't, I haven't heard a single piece of coverage in the mainstream media about that after, after they were speaking about it. You know, Elon was saying that SpaceX, Tesla, and him all have Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Jack Dorsey was talking about Twitter becoming a decentralized organization uh, and decentralizing Twitter and integrating lightning and Bitcoin and crypto payments into Twitter. Um, you know, Tesla will, you know, they were talking about the shift from, um, China mining to to America and to other parts utilizing things like geothermal energy and, and renewables and all that sort of you know cool cool stuff that they they yeah, want to yeah, do for yeah. Bitcoin mining. That's all positive stuff, but you just don't. No one really latches onto that and 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 runs with it in the mainstream. So that the average person, and yeah, again, and and they were talking about you know standardizations around things like wallets for the average person for the you know I call it the grandma test. You know you want your grandma to be able to pick up you know, a phone and be able to get Bitcoin and transact in it, which, you know, right now it's probably too hard for like, you know, Nana to do that. But that's the point it's got to get to. And you need people like Dorsey and Wood and it must to get to that point. So there's a lot of yeah, really yeah. positive developments happening. Um, but, you know, you can't, it's hard to, I hate to say, I hate the term, but it's hard to fight the FUD. But the FUD is very strong at the moment as well. Well, that's just the way it is just normally in, in investing for, for everyone there is always the mm. fear of a loss is greater than the the greed of a, of a win Absolutely. ultimately yeah. um but there are yeah but you are very right when it comes to some of the some of the big developments you're from that b word uh uh from that b word sort of collab between those guys and uh, one thing i wasn't aware of and i don't believe what i may well be wrong but i i don't believe it was in the public domain was the disclosure from musk that spacex owned bitcoin because uh, yeah. it's a private company. Yeah, it's a private company, so it never had to disclose it. But um, I think, I think it was known, or if it wasn't known, it was pretty confidently assumed. Really? Yeah. All right. Because yeah. I, because I, I, of course Tesla, the whole Tesla ownership was a big deal. But I didn't, I didn't know SpaceX was, and SpaceX with its uh, sort of integration with, uh, you know, like U.S. space force etc is, is kind of interesting he's, he's managed to get away with that but then trump well no sorry not to, it was under the trump administration but you know uh like musk smoking weed on the rogan podcast like nobody who's met who's a contractor with nasa is is meant to be allowed to do drugs like they're all meant to be drug tests and whatever and he got away with it anyway etc etc 
Another thing was uh, Musk's disclosure he owned Ethereum, which I yeah. don't believe was. No, I don't think it, anyone really knew that. It was openly known about it. Um, and yeah, uh, as you say, it is a. It's, well, so it's, on that right. So the interesting thing yeah, I found it. about in the way that Musk was talking over that whole thing was that he always they kept asking questions about Bitcoin because it was supposed to be sort of about Bitcoin, but he, he always kept yeah. coming back to crypto. He kept speaking about crypto and the collective rather than Bitcoin in the singular. Uh, and you and and I know he, he look he cops his fair whack and I've given him a fair whack over a number of things before and he deserves a fair whack for a number of things as well. But the way he the way he does at least present and he seems he look he he does you know you never you never really know what these people's motivations are and and, and what they do as to what they say. But you can you can see with his obviously the transparency of the companies that he does have that have to be transparent about what they are doing and you can marry that against what they say. But you genuinely do get the inclination that everything he is trying to do is towards what he considers to be better for for everyone, better for the planet kind of thing. And the way he talks about crypto rather than just Bitcoin leads me to at least sort of have the inclination that perhaps he he understands that the wider ecosystem has more potential than just Bitcoin itself. And he definitely doesn't come across as a maximalist for anything, but more open-minded to the possibilities that these kinds of networks and technologies have their place, uh, which is, you know, why he's been into Dogecoin and, and, and obviously now he owns Ethereum. So he's obviously done a bit of research on that and Bitcoin. So I think there's more, a lot more to that as well. And like, so Kathy Wood as well, you know, I know, you know, that she's got large holdings with the ARK investment funds in uh, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, but I have no doubt that she'll also probably end up putting a fair whack into the new Grayscale DeFi fund that Grayscale are launching as well. Albeit well, she's, that- uh, she's attempted, uh, they've, they've tried to file a Bitcoin ETF amongst yeah. many others, but they're yeah. like ARK have, have tried that, tried to do that themselves. Um, one thing, you know, just to contrast, because uh, I believe the last, the last podcast we had, I said I, I'm kind of sick and tired of Musk messing around with the Bitcoin, with crypto in general, with all of this, all the pumping and dumping. And I broadly yeah. feel the same way. Obviously, it's it's up to him to, you can say whatever he likes. Yeah. Um, and I kind of broadly stick with that. But one thing I thought contrasted, that contrasted against what his words were on that B word collab, were uh, was Jack Dorsey, who interestingly, see, he seems mo- almost like a Bitcoin maximalist in a way. Yeah, and he's always big on this like sensor resistant protocols, etc. But yeah. when you consider his position as head of Twitter, that's right. It's like there's a big. It's a you know it's this conflict. is obviously. I mean, yeah. I mean, he kicked <laughs> he kicked the president of the United States off Twitter because he didn't like what he was saying. Right. Mm. It's, it's an interesting conflict there. I mean, so you have. So Dorsey's political ideals, I find very interesting. Obviously, he's not going to reveal them. But the, the fact that he is very, very keen on Bitcoin specifically, mm. rather than being more open to the broader crypto ecosystem, I find very interesting, especially considering his general ideals. Yeah, my, that was sort of my take on it as well, is that he comes across as a, comes across as a quiet maximalist. Um, that and, and, the, and that was sort of reinforced for me when he said that Square, so obviously Square launched Square Crypto, which is really working on everything and, and, and open sourcing everything that they do as well, which yeah, I, there's, a, there's an interesting debate as well to be had 
not that's not crypto specific, but around open source technologies versus closed sourced IP and trade secrets and things like that. Um, but Dorsey does seem to be wanting to push a lot of the crypto development that they're working on with Square Crypto, which is still primarily focused on Bitcoin uh, into the open source domain. But the fact that they said that within that, they're going to be launching TBA, which is their DeFi specific focused Square sort of subsidiary, which is another standalone company. Um, but it's going to focus on Bitcoin DeFi. Again, that sort of just reinforced to me that they're not, it really is all about Bitcoin for him uh, and his uh, associated companies. But like you say, you, you also, there's also this weird balance that, so did you see the bit where Musk pressed him on uh, uh, Twitter accepting Bitcoin for payments from advertisers? No, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. So at the very end, Elon was like, so Jack, um, so when t- is Twitter going to accept Bitcoin uh, as payment from, from its advertisers? And he wouldn't, he wouldn't confirm. He wouldn't, he wouldn't say yes, basically. He kind of dodged around it in a, in a very political dodging kind of way. Because at the end of the day, uh, Twitter's run by a board. And yeah, so Elon can Elon can make goal. those decisions because he controls the board. One man band. Yeah, he's pretty much a one man band. So um, but it's different with Twitter. Um, and it's yeah, different with Square. Sense. So it's not it's not so so clear cut and straightforward because they're masters to a legacy system that they needed to build these companies to start with. Um, and it's it's interesting as to whether or not, you know. Like so, so, there's an interesting sort of again dichotomy between something like Coinbase, right, which is now publicly listed, um, you know, needs to file its, you know, regulatory compliant information and needs to abide by all the regulations and everything that is needed as a publicly listed company. Um, and then on the other hand, you have something like Shapeshift, which is looking to decentralize its entire organization. Very I just cool. wonder about, you know, this, there's, we're starting to now see, and, and even with, with the way Dorsey spoke about decentralization around Twitter, um, it'd be interesting to see if how these, how these organizations do decentralize and how they can function. And if we do genuinely end up in the next decade with a large tech company that, you know, this in, talking tens of billions of dollars that isn't controlled by a you know a, 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 a single person or even an executive board but there is an, an element of decentralized governance about it so th- this this whole sort of play around the decentralization of finance and organizations it's a um it's a really significant thing that i'm not sure people take seriously enough yeah i think the the decision by shapeshift to become a decentralized org uh, I find very interesting indeed. Uh, I, I've not seen anything like that before, where it's no. such a where they were already a very big firm, and they are deliberately deciding de- deciding to dismantle their own sort of authority over it. Yeah, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how they do it, like what they're going to do, maybe with a token or something, or how it's all going to be run. But it, it, if it is a success, I mean, this could be. Um, it could be the model, right? It could be the model. Yeah, it could be the model. You do still wonder, you know, who, what CEO or which, um, which, which group of uh, board members would willingly destroy their own power over the company. 
Exactly. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, like a, it's like a George Washington thing, right? I'm not going to be a monarch. Instead, we're going to have this, you know, constitutional um, republic. It's, it's this, which it, but it's, it's very admirable to see people trying it out. Well, I think uh, that's similarly. the thing is you, you need people, somebody, so there's always needs to be a pioneer for some of these things. And that's why I think Twitter's probably going to do it as well, right? Because at the end of the day, Dorsey's not going to struggle. And if he thinks that Twitter can be better done as a decentralized organization, I, I genuinely think within the next few years, Twitter is going to sort of follow that model of shapeshift and try somehow, I'm not sure how exactly you do it, but decentralize its operations and its entire but, existence. But like, in order to do that, I mean, what what are you going to do with the shares? It's still a public company. They, I think they need to buy back all the shares first, then go private, and then try and do it. Well, you could, you could, you could, you could one for one exchange them for a for a security token, really. Maybe, maybe. and, yeah, and attach it? and attach voting rights, like proper voting rights, mm. to to those, and uh, and utilize that in a in a sort of governance way i mean i don't know i'm sure there there has to be there's always ways to do things just about so so much of it is lawfare you know you know the the legality of this stuff is uh it's uh, yeah i don't i don't think it's the tech that's the issue it's like the it's the old school mentality around from the shareholders the board members all the other vested interests i mean you know what's the stock exchange gonna be like yeah what's what's uh what's What's the nicey going to say about Jack Dorsey saying, yeah, guys, uh, I don't really need these things, yeah. these share certificates anymore. Yeah. I've got my own idea. It's better. You yeah, know, are they the, um, the, the BlackRock and Fidelity ETFs that have got <laughs> yeah, exactly. holdings of Twitter. How are they um, going to rebalance into that? Yeah, exactly. How are they going to how are they going to um, pass their compliance and risk um, procedures when Twitter's decentralized and has a security token attached to it? Yeah, very cool though. Very cool. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, one thing. One thing. I um, what was I well, say? actually, just sorry on that. Oh, Karen, um, Twitter's actual stock. So sort of, this is this is all still market related. Uh, Twitter stock took a took a nice little jump off the back of um, what what Dorsey was saying about it because they are going to. It's it's you know it's very clear they're going to focus a lot on Bitcoin and integrate Bitcoin. I think. I also think that what we're going to see Twitter evolve into is I think we're going to start to see more premium functions enabled with twitter I, th- I believe that it'll get to a point soon where you'll be able to pay for a no ad twitter existence yeah, sort of yeah like yeah. a premium service and probably be able to pay for something in in bitcoin or uh, i know yeah. there was there were some some things a little while ago that trialed lightning networks they were sort of add-ons and apps that you could tip people on twitter using bitcoin lightning payments and now I think you'll probably end up finding that that will integrate into Twitter natively and, and they'll, they'll do that through Square uh, where you can, and I think I saw something even just recently where you can super like or something what somebody's posted and, and, and effectively tipping them. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that come through in Bitcoin and Lightning. So yeah, the stock price itself took a nice little jump off the back of that as well. It'll be interesting to see if Twitter develops a beta to crypto. So if people start treating investor, the market start treat, starts treating Twitter shares as uh, a crypto company, like mm-hmm. it would say, well, maybe not obviously as extreme as MicroStrategy, but you know, one of the you know something you know a business that has openly flirted with it and gets a bid as a result. So you know, if we do see a stronger crypto market, would we see a stronger Twitter, that kind of thing? I think that'd yeah. be interesting to see. Though there was, yeah, there was something similar to that. When you talk about lightning channels and things like that, 
uh, and integrating that with Twitter and with Jack Dorsey being the uh, the the secret Mac maximalist or the uh, yeah the, the silent maximalist. There was one thing Musk said uh, that I took exception to, uh, which was Musk saying that um, everyone's not going to own a Bitcoin node. So not everyone's going to run a Bitcoin node. Uh, and I don't see why this has to be the case mm. when you consider what is required to, to, to run a Bitcoin node. Uh, and Bitcoin nodes are incredibly important to the network. They're, to, yeah. you know, they're not miners, but it doesn't matter. Like nodes are still what effectively, uh, you know, the, these are the guys that um, accept the, the blocks from the miners. It is a very big deal. They, uh, they vote for whether or not they're going to take the uh, new, new suggested forks of the protocol. Uh, so coming up in November, we're going to get that, that taproot rollout all being yeah. well, which will be very fascinating indeed. We should probably do a special uh, Triple B podcast just for that. Um, but it was Elon saying that we, you can't get, the, you can't get these. these um, yeah, not everyone's going to run a Bitcoin node. And I've, and now I don't run a Bitcoin node, but I recently I've become very, I've looked at it before and recently I've become more and more and more interested in running one. Hmm. Uh, it's more if I was staying in one place, I would definitely get one. But it's get traveling around and carrying one around and, and plugging them in, etc. Is um, you know it, it's a pain and you need you know uses you know, you need to find a, a plug point, etc. And you have, yeah. need to have it with a little fan going on, etc. Yeah. However, you know when uh, nodes are really easy to get now with uh, the companies like Umbral out there, which just sell like very user friendly uh, software, and you know they just say here buy all of these things. We're not even going to sell them to you. Just buy all these things and then uh, put them all together, install this, and you'll be running a Bitcoin node. It does seem very very easy, and I think um, I, I I don't know. I think if we get if there are a lot more and more Bitcoin users, and Interestingly, if there are more Lightning Network users, so there are people yeah. who can effectively earn interest from running and supporting the Lightning Network, right? You can earn Satoshis. Uh, I think it's going to become a lot more common, but it all depends on the, I think, the success of the Lightning Network. What do you make of all that? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think, I think what he was probably trying to say, which he's, he, sometimes he just really doesn't say things very well, uh, is that the average person right now doesn't want to fuck around with it, but that's based on where we are today. I think you're right. I think as the technology evolves, as uh, the technology gets more powerful, so hardware gets more powerful, uh, but quieter and smaller and easier to use and the software gets easier to use and we start to see more sort of focus on the user experience for a lot of these more complex things then yeah, you, you will, you, more people will do it um, once they sort of start to understand the benefits and the, and the power of uh, what these sorts of networks can, can do. So I think right now he probably has a reasonable point, but um, certainly I would say over the next few years as we develop with all of this, that no, I think, I think, you know, people will start to do that, um, especially when they start to really understand the power of non-centralized uh, money networks, which is kind of what Bitcoin Bitcoin is. Yeah. Now we're onto our second beer by now, Sam. What would be your rating for the first? Uh, so the Duvel was uh, very nice. Uh, <laughs> weirdly. Now, I don't know if this is just me because I haven't drunk for a while, but it, it didn't taste like a 9.5 and it certainly doesn't feel like a 9.5. Um, <laughs> Always a good sign. 
yet i say yet uh but that was that was pretty good i mean it's still quite a you know it's still a reasonably mass market uh beer um but it was it was enjoyable i'd uh and i'd drink more of them and then i would be in trouble uh but i think i'd i'd, I'd give that a i think i'll give that a b yeah i think it deserves a b for anybody who has joined us at Triple B more recently and isn't familiar with the scoring system, it runs uh, inversely to credit ratings on corporate bonds and, uh, well, just bonds in general. So Triple B being the best, Double B being very good, B being uh, good, and then running to A, which is uh, not very good, Double A, <laughs> really not very good, and Triple A, which is uh, suitable only for landfill. Um, and we're pluses and minuses in between. Uh, the hooky gold I started with, very crisp indeed. Uh, mm. Very, very refreshing for a hot day like this. Really, really perfect. 4.1%. Nice golden ale. Um, I would give this one a B plus. Uh, very, very nice indeed. Uh, I'm now on to... Well, actually, Sam, we'll go on to you. What's your second beer? Uh, so my second one is another Belgian beer. It is Le Chouf. Or le, oh le, yes, le, le chouffre or le chouf, just le chouf, uh, which is a Belgian blonde, much more typical Belgian beer than the Duvel Triple Citra. Uh, it's got that that unmistakable Belgian strong but smooth taste. It's quite quite smooth, whereas the the, the Duvel Triple was a was a bit more crisp uh, and and actually slightly refreshing. But yeah, this is a much more smooth gold uh, liquid that I'm consuming, it's uh, 8% because we, as we know, the Belgians don't do anything um, light. Nope. <laughs> and no, so sir. far, so far, so good. It's a nice, nice little change, uh, change of pace, slightly, slightly less powerful, but very, very enjoyable so far. Oh, very good. Very good. Uh, the one I'm on here today is a West Coast IPA. This is by Neon Raptor, which uh, they make some pretty crazy beers. Uh, this one is called Plot Twist Alibi, and Plot Twist Alibi is written in sort of uh, Pac-Man, you know, 8-bit font, uh, with a backdrop to like a Renaissance angel painting, except colored in using like bright neon colors. So wow. uh, they've got like, you know, bright green wings and hair and a pink cape and stuff. Very striking image. Uh, a modern twist on a classic style, carefully blending citra, mosaic, equinox, and centennial hops. There's still plenty of bitterness and pine, but also loads of tropical goodness. Uh, yeah, this is uh, this is an interesting one. And yeah, this is made in no uh, Neon Raptor is uh, in Nottingham, and the artwork actually on this. I like how they've uh, they've linked it here. They put their her Instagram. I'm guessing it's her uh, intro Instagram handle, Heather Crud. And uh, yeah, very, very nice indeed. But yeah, seven percent. So uh, it does, it does hit a fair bit. Uh, you can taste. It's not too cloudy actually, but uh, it does have a fair, fair strike. Um, and actually, on the topic of beer, Sam, uh, you know, we have had. Uh, you know, I am here in Cheddar. It would be remiss, of course, not to visit Cheddar Ales, who, of course, ah, of made course. our quantitative ease and indeed our blockhead. Uh, I shall be paying a visit soon. I shall send your regards. Excellent. Uh, and it will be very, very interesting to, to meet the team in person after all this time yeah. of uh, being in contact remotely. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting down there at some point as well. Um, should, uh, should, do you know what? Should be a, should take the family down there for a little family getaway at some point. Definitely. But, um, what, 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 an, what an excuse to go down to Cheddar and, and, and see the guys and check out the operation they got down there. I am... Um, 
I had my brother-in-law and his family uh, come here uh, just the other week. They popped up to to see the new baby and uh, the existing one and us, of course. So I had the nephews up and everything. And um, we cracked a couple of the quantitative ease, the the new oh, release yes. batch of that, The um, which I must say is, you know, the, the original batch, the, the prototype batch was very good. Uh, the new release, uh, better again. Um, and very, very well received by my brother-in-law uh, as well. So there's, uh, you know, I think all the feedback we've had has been very positive towards that. So um, k- kudos to the Cheddar Owls fellas and people and guys and gals and everyone that works there. Uh, very good job and, and a very good brewery. Yeah, indeed. Cheers to more easing, further easing. Who would have thought we'd be cheering on more more wow. rounds of quantitative ease in the future? Well, wait, serious, serious, uh, serious question off the back of this. Um, so, I think was it an email from you or from somebody uh, in the editorial suite at Southbank Research uh, about the renewed talks around the U.S. debt ceiling? Uh, now I fondly that remember was from myself. Yes. Yeah. I fondly remember the 2013 debt ceiling debacle. Uh, oh yeah. But yeah, that was crazy. Administration, which actually, interestingly enough, was a quite a, quite a buoyant time for Bitcoin as well. Cause this is also around the Cypriot banking crisis too. Oh yeah. Um, so there are a number of financial crises happening at one given time throughout that all throughout that year, actually. Um, mm-hmm. that, that really boisted, bolstered, bolstered, really bolstered the um, the backdrop of, of, of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. What uh, can you explain a little bit? I, I'm not really up to speed with what's happening around the U.S. debt ceiling discussions at the moment, but it seems that there's a debt ceiling that is never really a ceiling. Um, and I just wonder what 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 your thoughts are around that. What's going to happen in in that regard? Do you think? Um, I mean. Spoiler alert, they're going to raise the debt ceiling again. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you know, back in, back in like those early 2010s years, right? I mean, there, there actually was an idea that they wouldn't be because that was when austerity yeah. was, uh, or just you, you just not being profligate was in, 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 in style. You know, the Tea Party in the US was, you know, they actually, they did manage to rally and they managed to, uh, they managed to get a fair bit of uh, political influence there. Uh, but yeah, not anymore. So I mean, the idea of the debt ceiling actually, uh, you know, actually being being a halt to the proceedings of spending <laughs> money is not is not going to happen. It's but about it's as strong as the ceiling at Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, right? Yeah, exactly. Or you know, the uh, the ceiling to my uh, you know my thirst for alcohol or something like that. You know, it's going to be very very hard. I mean, maybe there are times when people debate it, but. You know, there are uh, ultimately we're not going to really see a top to it. And with the debt ceiling now, what's interesting about it is because the Treasury is in this in very the U.S. Treasury is in this very interesting position sort of in the middle of it. So U.S. Treasury obviously is not the one calling the shots with what the debt ceiling is or not. It's just the one that deals with all the spending that the government wants to do. And due to uh, all the all these you know COVID stimulus packages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, the Treasury has been acting and kind of assuming that more stimulus has been coming down down the road. So the Treasury has lots and lots of money, or at least has lots of liquidity when it comes to when it comes to its debts and its bonds and things like that. So it's, it's got a it's, its cash balance position is very high, but. We are getting to the point where 
Oh, I see. And uh, I need to, this is another contextual thing. Debt ceiling was suspended to some degree mm. back in 2019. So we are now getting to the expiry point of that temporary suspension where debt ceiling now, is to, now needs to be in force again. And at current standing, the treasury has more cash, you know, it, it has more debt than the debt ceiling would allow. So, so the they've already breached needs... the debt ceiling, is that right? Yes, because it was suspended. So the idea yeah. was you're going to reduce it in time for when we when we take another look at it again, when yeah. we when we re-examine it. So, but that you know that was in 2019. So now here we are. COVID comes along. You know, yeah. flu comes down. We get all these stimmy checks, etc. Treasury ends up having loads of cash and loads of debt that it's doing, and it needs to find a way of bringing it down in time for the debt ceiling thing to be to be redebated again. Because if it doesn't, then that's illegal. So it's in breach of its mandate. So and it needs to find a way do, of bringing it down. Do they do they effectively shut down public services when during that debate period if they breach that ceiling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's happened during that's the classic thing before. that happens during yeah. during debt ceiling debates. It's all very melodramatic. All the all these public oh, yeah. servants say, "Oh, you know, we're yeah, not going to get paid." paid. <laughs> yeah, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, yeah. It's it's such a it's such a farce, but. Um, uh, and we're probably going to get more of that. We're go we are going to get more of that. But what's interesting for Trey for this 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 ex this sort of era now is with all this woo flu spending, Treasury's got too much money, so it needs to find a way of getting rid of it, and or well, or at least not getting rid of it, but not not getting more of it from the bond market. So what you know, if it doesn't just blow a load on COVID aid of some sort, you know, putting it into some politicians, you know, constituents' pockets or whatever. Then what it'll do, uh, likely, likely what it'll do is reduce the number of debt auctions that it does, so that it stops onboarding more money to reduce its cash balance, to sort of drain it out a bit, so it's within the actual debt ceiling limit. Thing is, what this does at a time like now mm. is reduce the supply of U.S. Treasuries at a time. You know, this is the global um, safe haven instrument. I mean, this is for everybody. This is the instrument that dictates the interest rate, the long-term interest rate for everywhere on the planet to some degree. Everyone references this rate. Every asset are ultimately, to some degree or not, references this rate, either to a lesser or to a greater degree. And what happens is if Treasuries just sort of restricts the flow of that, then, you, then this can create a big uh, you know, supply-demand mismatch where there's a big, big bid for US Treasury bonds, which leads to interest rates globally going down as a result of this political theater that's going on in the States. So there's here, the, the consequences of this, if it, if it doesn't happen, you know, there are, and we do just see a big move in yields. It doesn't even need to be an extreme move in yields, just a big move in yields down. We've already seen a fairly big one already. If we do see that big move in yields, I mean, the, the consequences this has, this has for everybody because it's changing the price of money everywhere in the world is huge. And it all comes down to this, you know, this rule about a debt ceiling over in the States. Uh, so, you know, when we were talking about earlier, when we were referencing 2018, whether or not we're in 2018, well, hmm. 2018, we had, you know, a Federal Reserve. We had, we had, we had Jerome Powell at the Fed who was uh, putting on his hard man attitude. And saying, I'm just going to be raising rates until the cows come home. I don't care about markets. And then obviously, you know, he folded, you know, he broke. We don't have that really at all now. There are people talking like about, about tapering uh, and maybe there'll be some tapering. Nothing about it raising interest rates. And now you've got this interesting dynamic going on at the Treasury where 
they may, you know, due to that political deadlock situation and due, due to simply the treasury having too much money, you know, the, this, this great dichotomy of the trade, you know, the most indebted nation by, <laughs> by, by you know, in nominal measures, right? How, having too much money, it, you know, is then, uh, then needing to, needing to spend more money or to reduce the amount of money, uh, uh, the amount is borrowing. It's all very, it's, it's quite interesting. But when you move that, when you, when we contrast, you know, 2018 now, very, very, very different. So when the, ma we're looking at the macro backdrop, it is yeah. very different now from 2018 by a huge measure. And it will be very interesting to see if the treasury, due to the debt ceiling constraints, the treasury ends up causing a massive, uh, you know, a massive bid for U.S. government bonds. So uh, U.S. government yields going down by a large degree due to the fact that the, the U.S. Treasury wants to borrow more but can't because it needs to fit inside its mandate. And that has a knock-on effect for everything because whether you like it or not, it's an American world and we just live in it. And American government yields dictate so like pretty much everything when it comes to capital markets. So it'll be very interesting to see how that entire debate turns out. So if if that so you said that that could lead to lower rates, but if if rates were already negative in many parts of Europe, does that just mean more negative negative rates? Uh, doesn't it? Well, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, the yields in Europe have to go more negative. But it, what it, I would imagine it would do. Well, yeah. Well, the answer to that is yes. It definitely <laughs> could mean. It definitely could do that. I would imagine you'd. All, it would mean uh, ECB would probably go for even more stimulus, which would right. have its own effect on, on rates. So yeah, I mean, and inflation, uh, right? In that point. Yeah, you you would think so, but the eurozone its inflation sort of dynamic is uh, is not looking very good at the moment the inflation expectations yeah. over there aren't very good that can, of course that can change but um yeah i mean it, it it can definitely lead to deeper negative rates big time and same in japan you know well so and interesting that is and that does tie back into a bit about what um we were talking about a little bit earlier so one of the things that elon musk was saying in his uh little speech when he was presenting on the b word uh, bitcoin conference the other day he was talking about, and he said, he specifically said, in Europe, uh, with negative rates, you, we, are, we are basically looking at our accounts in real time, lose money. Um, and and the, the, the value of our, of our cash held accounts in Europe are, 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 are negative because of negative rates are, are going lower. And he said, he goes, he goes that, you know, that's, that's money that we would move to, that we would move to Bitcoin. Um, to to protect from that from happening, mm. um, which I I think they'll do, <laughs> and and I think that the the purpose of that conference was to enlighten I think more of the corporate world around how these uh, sort of and to be fair pioneers of in in corporate cryptocurrency um, treasury management are taking, and and we may see more of that in the in the eurozone. Uh, of people trying, of corporations looking to protect from negative rates and moving partial amounts of their balance sheets into Bitcoin um, as a byproduct of all of that, which is originating not just, which is issues within the EU and the Eurozone, but also issues from externally from America as well. Yeah, though you did reference earlier uh, earlier this episode, Sam, about the uh, the FATF regs that are that are uh, abundant in the eurozone. Obviously, yeah. they are uh, you know in certain areas of uh, of Europe like Luxembourg, they're pretty pretty easy with the rules. And if, if anyone doesn't know, FATF is the Financial Action Task Force, by the way. Right. 
but like, do you think they would in America is a bit more laissez-faire with what corporates, especially one man, one man bands like Elon can do. I mean, do you think that uh, yeah. companies in the Eurozone would get away with that? Are they, they still have, I mean, they still have, they're not, while well, they are Europe, uh, you know, US based, they still have European corporation subsidiaries. Um, oh yeah, yeah, no, but is that? But I don't think it's those. Is their subsidiaries that have the have the the balance sheet in Bitcoin? So I'm talking about natively European brands, so like BMW, etc. Yeah. Do you think those guys would be allowed? Because uh, I'm, you know, I'm no scholar of the of the the legality of European companies uh, when it comes to their finances and what they're allowed to allocate to. Do you reckon they'd get away with something like that? It'd be wild if they did. I uh, I don't see why they wouldn't be able to do it uh, as long as they I mean if you if you think about it so what's interesting about what the EU wants to do in terms of the regulation around anonymous transactions and cryptocurrency wallets and things like that is that the way they talk about it is the way they're talking about it is the same way that they talk about cash and the same way that they talk about the way that cash moves around the economy and anonymous accounts and the black basically the black market for for cash the black economy um, and in doing so, so long as there's transparency around what they're doing, uh, I don't really see there being an issue with it because it is effectively, you know, you're looking at it from a, from a monetary perspective where Bitcoin is, is, is more and more weirdly with all this regulation, the more regulation that it has, the more it appears to be cash and treated as cash and money, um, that, that I, I think I think you we will start to see a lot more of it happening. I think weirdly we'll start to see it come from places uh, probably like Norway and Sweden, interestingly first, which sort of sit outside the the EU's controls to a certain degree. Uh, the with the Shenzhen, I, I can never pronounce the fucking thing right, um, <laughs> but you know Shenzhen that zone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and. Um, and then I think we'll start to see it filter in through some of the more major corporations in Germany, France, and so forth. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's I think it's going to be a progressive thing um, about how they do it. But I absolutely think I mean, look, it, even you know, even more recently, you started to see. I think it was just this week that J.P. Morgan are now opening up um, their clients to uh, to invest in in Bitcoin funds and 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 the like. So. I just think there's a realization that to not have, even if it's just a small allocation of your balance sheet or your investment wealth into this asset class, it's, it's, it's almost irresponsible investment strategy to not have a partial allocation. And if we're talking about that and we're talking about the wealth that exists with corporations and individual investors and wealth in the EU, even just the EU alone, um, there's a significant amount of money that I think is going to start to shift into crypto assets as well. So the more regulation, you know, it, we, we look at things like regulation as a bad thing. And to a certain extent there is, um, but at the same time, there's also more validation that what we're talking about we're around crypto assets are what we said that they always were from the start, which is, you know, property assets, cash, um, a whole bunch of different uh, financial principles. And it's almost like that through regulation from the you know traditional finance world that it's it's validating all of that. Hmm. I would I see I would think that if there is that real fear of negative interest rates, 
in Europe, I would imagine you'd be the the telltale signs that things are going to be weird are going to get interesting and, and strange. There would be corporate treasury going for gold rather than Bitcoin first. I think gold would be sort of the telltale that the more cautious guys were going for it. Um, yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's also a liquidity, you know, a, a, a speed of being able to transact as well with those sorts of things. I mean, I, I mean, I'm corporate no treasury is not is not meant for rapid transactions and stuff. I mean, this is the long, this is the the, the capital of the company. Yeah, maybe, well, maybe, maybe, maybe they do, or maybe, maybe that's maybe that's part of. Um, maybe they don't. Maybe they just don't see gold as having. Uh, that sort of protection, but also with the upside potential as well. Maybe that's the the redeeming feature of Bitcoin is that they see it as a protective nature against inflation and negative rates and all those sorts of things. But there's also a speculative part of their nature, which says, and if we also hold a little bit of this instead of this on our balance sheet, then maybe we stand to benefit from a, a rapid upside should that should that happen. I don't think uh, the sort of the the industrial titans of uh, of the eurozone are well known for being uh, so so ri risky with their uh, you know turning their business into a hedge fund. However, yeah, you know, well, who knows? You, you, you're right. You're right. You're right. But those titans don't live forever, uh, yes, and yeah. a lot of there's a lot of European wealth. You look at some you know large Italian and French families, for example, that own significant wealth in Europe that I'll, you know, transition that wealth through to the generations that come from below them. And maybe they have oh, a time. And, and Sam's, I mean, there are, there are plenty of uh, European family offices, uh, you know, for the old, for the old money who I have no doubt whatsoever. Uh, those family offices were, were some of the guys who were taking, uh, you know, big positions in Bitcoin. I mean, family offices are really big on it. But just when it comes to the uh, just when it comes to the the corporate side, I do wonder whether or not the balance sheets would be uh, you know something they'd be willing to uh, willing to uh, open up to Bitcoin. But you know we'll, we'll wait and see because one way one way or another in uh, one way or another uh, you know something's got to break in in the eurozone eventually. There's only well, so I was much. I was thinking I, I saw an article the other day. Uh, now I can't remember who it was. I think it was the Arno. Family, the friend, the the uh, LVMH family. Oh, the the wolf in Kashmir, eh? The LVMH guy. Yeah, the wolf in Kashmir. Well, so Bernard uh, Arnaud Arno, is, yeah. is the sort of the head, but he's there's there's family. I think sons beneath him that are quite young. Uh, that I believe that's this is almost like a uh, like he's into his seventies now. Mm. Uh, and it's like a transition of control of the of the family, the wealth, the companies, all those sorts of things coming through to the young generation. I think, I think I saw an article. I think it was about them. I can't again. Don't don't quote me on this. Was it either them or what's the um, what's the big Italian family? Um, is it the Agnellis? Uh, depends who I. Yeah, depends who you are referring Around to. Because there are plenty Fiat of old and, Italian uh, money. Fiat and. Uh, the, uh, anyway, I think it was the Arnos, and uh, and I think the youngest son, which I was talking about, sort of, or one of the sons getting a large portion of control, was he's only like twenty nine years old, right? Uh, there's, I think, I think we'll start to see, and this this plays out, I think, over sort of the next ten to twenty years, 
and, and I've said this before about the boomer generation as well, as the boomers start to drop off the perch, uh, that there's going to be a very significant transition of wealth from boomers to their offspring uh, that is going to be looking for places to put that boomer wealth. And I think that those that are in control that, that retain and, and gain control over significant corporations. And I think there's going to be a very different approach to how organizations are managed uh, the, the way in which they sort of shift from more staunch, maybe risk averse operation to a little bit more growth risk orientated um, uh, views. So th that's, I think there's, I think there's going to be a story around this generational shift when you look back through history, there's always, you know, there's always shifts in generation. Wealth has always passed from generation to generation, but not wealth at the scale of what's been generated and created from, from boomers. Uh, and, you know, that those that generations now creeping towards their 70s and 80s. Uh, and, uh, you know, in the next decade or two, <laughs> the sad part is, is they start to die and that wealth has to go somewhere else. So I think that's going to be an interesting period of time as well when that wealth is uh, redistributed elsewhere. I wonder, I wonder whether or not that wealth can retain its value when millennials aren't rich enough to buy it at its current prices. So, uh, you know, if yeah, when the boomers do pass away, whether or not there'll be enough, you know, if there aren't other boomers where they're willing to buy, you know, say the property at the same value as it was, as it was when they died. I wonder whether or not all of those asset values can remain the same. But you know, it's a, uh, it is a, yeah. I mean, it will be a very interesting period when it does happen. A very sad period as well. Um, yeah, but, I mean, no, I'm like, like, to, you know, my, my my old man's in the boomer generation. I don't like the thought of thinking about him not being around anymore. But the sheer fact is, is that over the next couple of decades. Uh, that's that's probably going to happen, right? Um, and there's there's a wealth transfer that takes place, and and you know we are not we are not the elite uh, wealthy families of the EU or the the UK. My my father, alas, no. were teachers, and, and don't think you know he's, he's done very well for himself as a teacher for his entire career. Um, but we are not the the uber elites. But there's still wealth that 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 passes on. And and to, when you start to think about the, the those that, that, that sit at the tops of major corporations and private offices and private companies and stuff like now, uh, yeah, I don't know how it plays out. You know, like you say, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe when that happens, maybe there's a there's a shock on the downside because you know, like you say, the the next generation that inherits that wealth does not want to pay those same prices, um, or. Uh, or maybe that it's 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 reallocated from from less from you know from uh, what you would call stable assets uh, to more risky ones in that search mm. the ever ending search for growth. Yeah, big time. Fueling big time. another market boom. <laughs> yeah, I've no doubt we'll, we'll have plenty to comment on <laughs> once we get there, Sam. Uh, but before we get there, what would be your rating for your second beer? I very much enjoyed that. Uh, that was that was a smooth uh, Belgian blonde, a uh, little bit less on the alcohol content. Uh, very, you know, traditional, typical Belgian Belgian beer, the Le Chouf. Uh, oh, I would give that a B plus. Nice. Uh, the 
Plot Twist Alibi by Neon Raptor. 7% West Coast IPA. Very nice indeed. I think I would give that one a B. Very nice indeed. Now, were any closing comments for our return to Triple B, Sam? Uh, no, it's nice to be back. It's nice to have a couple of beers on a Friday afternoon. I'm, uh, after this, going to go uh, bathe some children and then feed a child and uh, try and exist until midnight and then pass out until 6 a.m. <laughs> well, I'm just going to head off to the pub, Sam. So uh, have a good one. Ah, <laughs> uh, dear. <laughs> I, would yeah, love, but, uh, I, would love, I would love a cold pint at the pub right now. Yeah, it's pretty toasty outside, but yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be nice in a beer garden. I'll tell you that. And uh, for all those listening, listening to our return to Triple B, this was episode fifty. I do hope that you are having a good weekend. Hopefully, you are enjoying a nice cold beer, not getting absolutely incinerated by this sunshine. We shall be back with episode fifty-one next week. But until then, we wish you a very good weekend. We'll see you next time.